when I was running, I'd be thinking, okay, I need to burn off the calories I'm going to eat tomorrow or the calories I've already eaten or the calories that I'm going to drink. So that was kind of the mindset that I was in. I saw running as more of that punishment. That was Sophia Nelikaroba, and this is episode 86 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Sophia Nelikaroba is a lifestyle coach and personal trainer whose mission is to help people find meaning, not just during the highs of their lives, but in the lows as well. She loves sharing her own health, wellness, and self-development journey on her podcast, Flow with the Grow, in hopes that others might relate and take aligned actions on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual levels. Sophia fell in love with running right out of the gates in middle school, but during high school and college, it gradually became a form of punishment and a way to drop weight. In this episode, we discuss many sensitive topics, including disordered eating, food restriction, over-exercising, amenorrhea, and body dysmorphia. Sophia shares how finding a good therapist and engaging in personal development were integral in shifting her mindset, rediscovering her love of movement, and being grateful for her body. It's truly incredible what a transformation she has gone through, all before the age of 30. So let's get into it with Sophia Nelik Aroba. So Sophia, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Carolyn and I are so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. I am honestly so excited to do this for t- and just to talk today. So excited. So thank you for having me on. So I, I just want to share a little bit of how we connected because um, it's it's not the typical way that we ha- invite guests on our show. So Sophia and I are part of a um, online podcasters community. And the great thing about this community is they do guest swap Thursdays, I think it is. And they, they do a call out for people that are interested in being on each other's podcasts. And so that is how we connected. And Sophia reached out to, to me and we ended up having a, a chat and I just found her so fascinating and her story, one that I really think that all of our listeners will appreciate. And um, I asked her to come on the show. So Carolyn, this is going to be your first time hearing some of her stories. So I'm just really excited to, to have you on the show. Yeah. And I'm excited too, because I remember when you posted in that group and I saw running and that you were looking for just people who have a story running. And I'm like, yes, me, that's awesome. And actually this will be the first time that I've shared this part of my journey and my story with running. Like I've never focused in on this before. I don't know why, but when we were talking, it just kind of dawned on me that I've never shared this before. Ooh, well, uh, now I'm intrigued and I'm so excited, (laughs) so excited to get into that part of it. But before we go down the running rabbit hole, because that could be the whole podcast, Mm -hmm. um, maybe just give our listeners a little bit of background. Who are we talking Mm -hmm. to? Where are you joining us from? Tell us a little bit about Sophia. Yeah, so um, I am Sophia and I currently live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I've been in the Midwest, South Dakota my whole life, but it's a great community to grow up in. I am a health and fitness coach or a lifestyle coach and personal trainer. I just currently started my own business with that. So that's super new, but it's exciting. I love it. I work part-time at another gym. And then, of course, I have my podcast. I Let's see. I live with my girlfriend here as well. And hiking is like 
my thing. I love hiking. That's like my number one hobby. I'm kind of like a hippie-ish type person. So I love all like the woo-woo stuff. And yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's a little bit about me. And if you could see Sophia right now, she has the biggest, most beaming smile. <laughs> I don't know. I've had people tell me I'm just so high energy and I like that because I feel like I am too. And I'm just, I try to be as positive as possible. You know, I'm not always positive, but I just love having the optimistic view on things. Tell us a little bit about how your running story started. Yeah. So the very beginning, I was in sixth or seventh grade and one of our teachers in middle school, it was me, my sister, and a friend. And he comes up to us and he's like, you three would be perfect for cross country. And I remember at first I was like, no, I don't, that's not for me. But he was so adamant about it. And then finally, you know, when it was time and we were able to sign up for cross country, we we're old enough. And I think that was eighth grade or maybe freshman in high school. We did it. And I fell in love with running. That was like the beginning of um, long distance running for me. And I, because of that, found my love for the sport. So that's the beginning of when, when I first started. Okay. So there were no big hiccups along the way. Like you should hear my running story. I was like, I hated it for like two and a half decades. And then I fell in love <laughs> with it. But it sounds like you just kind of, it was love at first sight. Is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah, not necessarily. So when it came to race time, I didn't like the butterflies in my stomach. So that part I did not like. But honestly, like just running by myself, I I really did love. Nice. Nice. And now you mentioned a sister and I've been uh, listening to some of your podcasts. So I do know that it's a twin sister, correct? And an yes. identical twin sister? Yes. Identical twin sister. <laughs> okay, so so how was that? Like you both liked running, right? But was there ever kind of that competitiveness between the two of you? Or did one of you like it more than the other? How did that all play out? Yeah, this is really funny. So we both went out for it and she was beating me all the time. And one summer I just, I got sick of it and I got up every morning and I ran a lot and I did, I practiced a lot more. And then come race days, when the season came, I was beating her. And um, so that was, I loved that, of course. Um, so we we're very competitive in other sports. We're very competitive. And she ended up quitting cross country. She does not like, she did not like running as much as me. So that's how we were like very different. She hated it. I loved it. So for longtime listeners of our show, um, many of you know that Carolyn has a twin brother. And so she, yeah, I'm sure needed to establish there that there's a common bond between the two of you. So yes. that's, that's super cool. Big difference. Uh, spoiler alert. My brother is not identical, but you would not yeah. believe how many times we got asked if we were identical twins. So my standard thing would be like, I'm just going to let you think about that for a minute <laughs> before, <laughs> before I judge you <laughs> for asking me if I'm an identical funny. twin with a boy. Uh, but anyway, I digress. That's awesome. Yeah. That's 10th grade biology 101 right there. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So Sophia, you know, you had this great start to running and you had an amazing coach and cross country. Was there a point in high school when things potentially shifted for you and your relationship with running changed a bit? Yeah, it definitely did. So it started out, you know, running, I loved it. But then eventually, I used running as a form of, you know, punishment, like I didn't label it as punishment. But looking back, I used it 
to burn off calories. I was able to control running and working out more because I felt like I was so out of control with my food. I was very restrictive with food. I only had certain foods that I allowed. But if I was running and working out more, I wasn't eating. So I was eating less. It was kind of a way for me to eat less. And so I saw running as more of that punishment. I wasn't seeing it as I'm grateful for the ability to run or I'm running because I love it. Really in my mind, when I was running, I'd be thinking, okay, I need to burn off the calories I'm going to eat tomorrow or the calories I've already eaten. Or even in college, the calories that I'm going to drink and more. So that was kind of the mindset that I was in for a really long time. So like at this point, were you aware that you were doing that? Was it a conscious thing or was it an unconscious way to manage a situation? Yeah, I feel like it was more of an unconscious way to manage the situation. I think uh, it's so hard because looking back, it's like, how did I not realize this or see what I was doing? But I was so set in my ways of like, I'm going to be skinny. I want to be skinny. I'm going to restrict foods. I'm going to run more. Like, I, And so it was really this unconscious thing. And I wasn't fully aware of the detriment that it was doing in my life and in my mindset and the negative thought patterns. I just didn't realize that that was an unhealthy thing. Mm-hmm. And like so many things, don't you find like as a grown up woman, adult, it's easy to recognize everything like hindsight is is twenty twenty, right? Yes. But sometimes when you're in that situation, and you're in that moment, and you're in high school, you know, maybe it was even normalized in your friend group in high school, because I don't know about you, I, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but it was certainly kind of a, a normal, I hate to say it, but like a normal thing for teenage girls to be sort of aware of their weight and, and kind of falling into that earn and burn mentality, like, oh, I've earned this, you know, chocolate bar or meal even, right? And it gets a little bit toxic. So was there any of that going on to your knowledge in high school with the people that you were hanging out with? Yeah, for sure. So I mostly remember that there were girls in my high school that were taking diet pills or they were also losing a lot of weight for like prom and mm-hmm. different dances and things. And so I saw people lose weight and get, you know, skinnier. So I was like, I wanted that. And I realized that my body was changing. I remember actually that my body was changing in eighth grade. And then also more so like freshman, sophomore year, I remember looking at a picture thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gaining weight or I'm I need to lose weight and seeing all these other girls lose a bunch of weight. It was like, okay, well I wanted that too. And I felt like I needed that. And then I, I mean, I remember me and a friend went to Walmart and got diet pills. And so there was, there was definitely a little bit of that going on in my high school. So, you know, you, you've talked a bit about the different ways you've, you tried to deal with that in your teenage world. You, you, you used running as a way to burn off calories. Did you actually get to the point where you feel you had like disordered eating and, and something that we would label as an eating disorder? Yeah, I think for sure. I, even though I was never diagnosed, I think that I for sure got to that point where it was an eating disorder and that lasted for a really, you know, years to come later. I had friends and family reach out to me. I had friends reach out to my sister. I even had the guidance counselor bring me in to talk about 
my habits because they noticed and teachers noticed that I was losing weight rapidly. And I remember just kind of chalking it up to like, I'm working out a lot because I was also in soccer the same time as cross country. Plus I was doing my own stuff. And I was just saying, well, I'm working out a lot, but I'm eating really healthy. And in my mind, I actually had this little voice saying, no, it's not healthy. You're you're lying to him. And I remember just holding back tears. So I don't know what that was all about. But I was like fighting back the tears. And I remember leaving his office and just like starting to bawl. I didn't change my ways at that point. I kept going. But yeah, that was hard for me, that, that little meeting that we had. Mm. So do you think that's kind of the first time that you sort of came face to face with, oh, something's not right here? Yeah, I think so. But then also when people came to me or, you know, my sister, it was also, or if they said anything to me, it was also a little bit of positive reinforcement because Mm. it was like, okay, this is working. Mm. I'm feeling it. Ooh, people are noticing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people are saying stuff. So it was like, that is positive reinforcement. I'm loving it. And so I kept doing that. And even when I, I weighed myself a lot, and I remember being at my lowest that I know of, which was 109, and I was happy about it, but also it still wasn't enough. And I wanted it to keep going down. And so this disordered eating and even other eating disorders, it's kind of like that was the start of it. But then even come through college, it kind of was like a roller coaster through all of them. So this didn't stop in high school. This continued into college. Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing with our listeners some of the types of ways you handled food that were unhealthy? Yeah. Yeah. I So starting, I guess, in high school, I used different tactics to not eat or to eat less. I had certain foods that I would allow. I had foods that I wouldn't allow at all. I would look directly at the calories and the fat, like the grams of fat or whatever, and it needed to be zero. I had ways of, I won't say specifically, but I had ways of eating less. So if you in your mind, you are, if you're listening and you have tactics and things that you do in your mind to eat less, that is a red flag. Also in college, I remember, even though I was feeling hungry, like let's say it's noontime at lunch, I was kind of hungry, but I would instead go work out. So like if you're using working out and running as a way to avoid food, that's also a red flag. Yeah. Or suppress, because it is an appetite suppressant, right? When you, when we Mm -hmm. work out, we generally aren't that hungry, but yeah, doing that as a way to suppress your appetite is probably not the healthiest thing. I'm curious at this point now, when you're in high school and in college and you are restricting your calories and you're working out extra, (laughs) like how was your energy? Like how was your performance? Were you noticing that it was actually working for you or was your performance starting to suffer as well? Uh, That's, that is a good question. I feel like for me, I didn't notice it. If it, if my performance was decreasing, I didn't notice it. I just felt like I was In my mind, I was getting stronger. I was getting faster. Like there was no other option. So I didn't notice it if it was. So was that kind of like more positive reinforcement like you were talking about before? Oh, other people are noticing and and look, I'm doing this, but I'm not getting slower. I'm getting faster. Like that is, was that another sort of like, hey, I don't have a problem here. Yeah, for sure it was. And then I remember too, like I always wanted my stomach to feel super skinny and 
in my mind, it was like in so weird, but it's, that was the thinking. And so when I would wake up in the morning or go to bed at night, I had to have that and running and working out helped me do that too. And the reality is in the, in the early short-term period, losing some weight will improve your performance long-term wise. (laughs) If it gets too far, it will not, but you were still in this phase of, of not noticing significant performance deficits. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I guess my second question follow-up would be you have the unique situation of an identical twin sister. So almost a mirror of another human that did not necessarily look exactly like you did. So I'm wondering if there was ever any comparison or like triggers in your mind that went, hmm, I'm not really looking like somebody who is genetically 100% like me. Did that at all cross your mind? Or was this, again, more positive reinforcement? I'm just wondering how that relationship with your twin sister worked at that point. I love this question. This is such a good question. Holy cow. Because the answer is yes. There was so much comparison throughout high school and college. I think the comparison happens with anyone. I would always look at other people or myself and I would see myself much differently than what other people saw. So a little bit of body dysmorphia there. But for years, and I don't think I've really even ever told her this, but for years, even up until just a couple, like one or two years ago, I would look at her and compare myself instantly. Like I felt like she was a lot leaner and I wanted and I wanted to look like that, but I felt like I didn't. So there's definitely a lot of comparison there. And I think that also played a role. So you you liked how she looked and you wanted to look more like her rather than and I got to be very careful here because I don't want to make it sound like your sister's not perfect exactly how she is, but there was no, I don't want to look like that. It was more, I wanted this ideal of my sister. Yeah. And also it was me thinking more negative thoughts about my body. Okay. Yeah. And that, I guess, is the challenge of that disordered thinking on top of it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. And But I always, like, I cannot tell you the number of times. So, like, women just fall into this, like, whole comparison thing, especially yeah. at that age. Um, yes. And then to have this twin sister over the top. So I can't even tell you how many times that I was growing up that I was like, thank goodness I have a twin brother. Like, and I just don't have to worry about this, mm. like, direct comparison. Because do, do, did you find that people felt free to just constantly compare the two of you? Oh, you, this one's taller and this one, you're, this one's hair's this. And this is the smart one. And this is the dumb one. Like, I just found that all the time with people that were twins. So I don't know. Did you ever think about that aspect of it growing up? No, I've never thought about it like that before. But we definitely always had people like comparing us. And I think, too, with sports, we're also very competitive, not only as a team against other teams, but like individually we were. And she was always... I will admit she was always a little bit better in my eyes anyway. And so this cross country running was like my way to be able to be better than her. And I, and I was, I got to a point where I was. And then I think just that comparison throughout the, you know, even years later, just kept there. And I never thought about that before Mm. until right now, until you guys pointed that out. This is so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened then? Like through college, did you hit a turning point at all where you thought, okay, I need to get some help with this? Or what did that look like for you? Yeah. So it wasn't until 
this was just a few years ago, my sister sent me a picture of myself. We're on the dance team our senior year, so it might have been a picture of us doing a dance or me running in cross country. She sent it to me, and I don't remember exactly what she said, but I remember looking at it and being like, holy shit, I looked like that? I looked that, I was that skinny? I was shocked. I was so small. And I did it like me putting myself back into senior year, looking at myself in the mirror. I did not see myself as I did when I was older, looking at that picture. I don't think it matters what age we are. We do not typically see ourselves accurately, (laughs) I think, especially especially as women. So, okay. So your sister in a way gave you that aha moment by showing you that picture. And then what happened? Yeah. And it was kind of, I feel like it was an accumulation of things. I, I used to work out two hours a day plus running, but then I started a workout with a friend called Insanity. And this is a beach body workout. Even though I don't do this workout now, this was like the turning point for me and my mindset around fitness because I did that 45 minute workout. And I was like, holy shit, I just got in a really good workout in 45 minutes more than how I feel after my two hour workout. And I have different views on like high intensity workouts and things like that. But in that moment, I realized, okay, I can, I don't need two hours. I can get 45 minutes. So it's not like I switched instantly, but that was like the beginning of changing my view and my mindset on fitness. When we were doing our our get to know each other call a couple weeks ago, I found this part of your story really, really fascinating because you jump from a very dysfunctional, disordered lifestyle with relations to health and fitness in, in high school and college to a few years ago now, which would make you what, like maybe 24 when your sister showed you this picture, maybe 23, like just post-university, would that be about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. And at that point, you recognized it was in the past that you were so skinny, which one would assume then you were not that way at that exact moment. So there comes a crux, right, in this in this story where you would have either gone further down that road of self-destruction and potentially could have ended up hospitalized, or you moved towards maybe incremental but gradually healthier habits to the point that you could recognize at age 23 that this past me was was a worse state than I'm at now. So what was it that turned, you know, that made you take that right fork in the road versus that left fork in the road. But looking back, what saved you? I would say it was an accumulation of a lot of things over time. And it started, I think, with working on personal development. So I kind of got into leadership stuff, but then also mindset and self-talk and listening to different podcast episodes. And then also being able to relate to other people who struggled with the same things that I did and how they changed their ways. And honestly, too, I used to have this all or nothing mindset. And it was kind of a lot of ups and downs of like me feeling like I needed to be on a cleanse or like a diet to control my food. But that was contributing to a lot of yo-yo dieting and contributing to the restricting and then the binging and all of that. And then continuously also working on my mindset and my self-talk led me to where I am today. And therapy. Therapy was like the turning point, the like pivotal moment that helped me 
fully get to where I am today. I could only do so much with my self-talk, but therapy was like the game changer. And for such a long time, therapy was like a stigma, right? It's like you wouldn't tell anyone that you went to therapy. And thank goodness, I think that is beginning to change now. So in your journey with therapy, what did you kind of discover about yourself and discover about potentially what was fueling or what was underneath the disordered eating in the first place? Yeah. So I remember going to my first therapist and we didn't really vibe that well. I wasn't feeling it. I stuck with her for a little bit and she gave me some tools that helped me, but I was also in a previous relationship and I felt like I was doing a lot of emotional stress eating from that. And so initially I went to therapy to help with my relationship with food and my body and all of that. But then I found, okay, I think I'm emotionally eating. And if I get out of this relationship or change something, I think that that'll stop. And I, I remember telling my therapist, my first therapist this, and not that she didn't believe me, but she thought that there was another underlying issue going on. And there was, but also I decided to stop going to this therapist. I went to a different one and instantly I felt like we vibed. She was, is amazing. And then talking to her, I actually did leave, uh, left my previous relationship and that it helped tremendously mm. already. And then going to therapy with my second therapist, we actually did something that's called ART, it's almost too good to be true. And she told me that they used to use it uh, mostly, I believe, it, with people who were in the army. Um, and it's kind of like a, it's an eye movement. And it's almost like, what's the word? Uh, hypnot- hypnotizing almost. I remember that one of the first sessions, she asked me what I was there for. And she's like, okay, so we can either, I can give you certain tools and ideas and uh, things that you can do each day, like meditations and just, you know, whatever, or we can get shit done and we can do this thing called ART. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. (laughs) And so, so, um, after learning what that was and doing it, basically we had to, I had to think about the initial situation where I believe this all stemmed from. And then, through a few few ART sessions, it's basically like covering up that memory, that situation with some, a different memory, not replacing the memory, but like viewing it and visualizing it going a much different way. And yeah, there's a lot more to it, but that really helped me. Often what happens is like when we've gone through something ourselves and then sort of come out the other side of it, it's like, that's what, that's our passion. That's our purpose, right? We want to help others to not suffer in the same way that we did. So was there any of that with um, the direction you took with your business and even potentially why you started your podcast, Flow With The Grow? Oh my gosh, yes. So I started it initially because I wanted to just get my voice out there. I love sharing on social media, things that I learn, inspirational stuff. And then one day I was like, okay, you know what? I want to start a podcast so I can just speak it. People can listen to it. And so it was a way for me to just talk about my journey, my life, my challenges, so that anyone else listening could relate to me if they, you know, if they did. But then also going through this whole part with like eating disorders and my 
relationship with food and my body and workouts and how that's all evolved, I've felt really passionate to share that because I know that a lot of other people struggle with it. And so, yeah, I just love sharing my my challenges, things that I've learned to help other people with becoming healthier, not just physically, but like their mindset, because that's where the real progress can be made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, so much of your story actually is, is very much resonating with me, the whole kind of I don't know that I ever would have been diagnosed with it with an eating disorder per se, but I definitely had a lot of the patterns, the restriction, the like, let's not eat when I'm hungry kind of stuff that maybe a bit exercise bulimia stuff. And um, the reason I became passionate about helping people eat well, eventually in my life was because I all of a sudden went from like, oh, I want to eat, but I really shouldn't to like, you know, being able to trust myself around mm. food. And for me, it was such a light bulb, like such a 180 from like the whole rest of my life that I'm like, you can actually just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, when you're eating the right stuff, right? And fueling mm. your body well and and moving, not because you have to, or not because you need to burn off something bad that you ate, but because you want to, and it feels good. So, uh, you know, I think, when you've gone through something like that and then you share that message from that place of like, mm -hmm. I've been there too, it really lands with people. So I've listened yes. to some episodes of your podcast. I've seen your stuff on social media and I, it doesn't surprise me that it's jiving with people because, you know, you're, you're very authentic and you're very honest that, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning, like I'm, I'm high energy and, and, love that. And you, uh, we get that from looking at you and, and hearing from you, but you're also very transparent when maybe you're having a day where you're not high energy. Right. And so you're kind of like bringing your whole self to your podcast and your mission and your business. And I think you can only be successful when you do that. Right. When we hide and suppress parts of ourselves, it's never good. Yeah. And I think a lot of people well, I know that a lot of people appreciate that, you know, we a lot of people just share their highs and their success. But when someone sees someone else being vulnerable and sharing, hey, I have had a super low day, I cried today. That's the stuff that people resonate with. And they're like, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, one of my goals is to be as authentic as possible. Like, yeah, I'm high energy, and I have a lot of good days. But I have a lot of days where I don't feel like doing anything and I have a bad workout or I just have a low vibe day. It happens. You know, I think anybody that spends a period of time in their life, whether it's because of athletics, diet, relationships, whatever it is, when you spend a period of time wearing a mask, when you finally shed that, it's so liberating it is. <laughs> and, yeah. and the energy, you know, really bubbles out. But at the same time, I know because I've been in that place. You have this visceral repulsion to put that mask back on. Yeah. And so it kind of allows you to be that much more authentic. Sometimes, in my own case, too authentic. But, you know, um, I think that is what allows you to connect with people. And um, you'd be surprised the people that I'm sure you you found this within your own podcast, the people that reach out to you expressing like, yeah, that like they identify with it because it's real. It's raw. It's human. Yes. <laughs> we're not, we're not soap opera stars. We're real humans out here. Um, yeah. 
So how did your relationship with running change over time? I know you are still running and very vibrantly so. So what happened? What kept you running and how did that evolve? Yeah. So even when I was in my negative thinking more so negative patterns with, you know, running and food and all of that, I still loved to run and I still ran because I loved it. And that always stayed. I feel like, like now to this day, when I run now, it's out of a place of gratitude because I'm able to run and I do it because it just fuels me. It fuels my soul. I run in order to not think about anything. There's no stressors, no to-do list. I'm just, it's just me and running. That is where I feel like I am most creative. Just ideas will just flow to me. Most of the time when I go to run, if I'm not training for anything, I will just run with no time in mind, no distance, none of that, which is completely different because I used to follow like a specific amount of, you know, calories burned, distance, whatever it was. But now it's just, because I love to run and I enjoy it. And it's more of the mindset of I'm doing it because I love my body, not because I hate my body. Mm -hmm. Oh, what a distinction. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So are you running on roads? Are you running on trails? Like what type of running are you doing right now? What environments? I used to run a lot on treadmill, hate doing that. So I try and keep that to a minimum, but I do every now and then. Um, But I love trails. Mm. Love doing trail running. Just it's, I don't know, something about being more so in nature around trees and all of that just fuels me and I love it. So tell us a little bit of the background story. I know you have a little bit of a love affair with the Deadwood Mickelson Trail Half Marathon. Yes. And it it all started with, I think, I believe your first half marathon was with your dad. Is that correct? It was. Yeah. Tell us, tell us that story. Yeah. So I think that he had done it in the past. And in my mind, I someday had wanted to do a half marathon, even maybe a marathon. But he told me that this what he signed up for this. So I was like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm gonna sign up for it. So that was my first ever half marathon. And I fell in love with it. It's in the in the Black Hills. And so it's very pretty. The half is mostly downhill, which I was all for. So (laughs) yeah, the marathon, it's more uphill and then downhill. But I loved that it was mostly downhill. There's like one little hill and that's it. But it's such a beautiful run. I remember doing it. And I mean, yeah, like towards the end, especially was really hard for me. And that part kind of sucked. But it went by really fast. I just remember thinking, wow, that was really pretty and went by really fast. And so I remember too afterwards thinking, I am never going to be able to run a half marathon in like a flat plane type of <laughs> like trailer. I just, and I haven't, I haven't, I, that, I mostly do just in the Black Hills so far is just all that I've done. I've done it like five times, I think. Amazing. Amazing. Well, it's really sounding to me again, like that from the outside, it would be like, she used to run and she still runs. But from when you hear your story, it's like the reasons that you're running have completely changed. And I'm really hearing like, I get to do this. Like I have a body that allows me to do this. I'm grateful. Like it, it just is coming from such a totally different place than the punishment and, and that, that, um, 
you first started right out on your running journey. So, you know, is there anybody who's been particularly inspirational to you on your running journey? You've talked about a few people, your dad and your sister, but um, is there anyone else that you want to mention who's, you know, inspired you? I would say the first people that come to mind is the initial, my initial coach who pushed us to get into cross country. And he was such a fun, fun coach, fun person. And then my other coaches throughout cross country, but otherwise my dad too, because he started doing the half marathons and that's kind of why I started doing them too. And I found that I loved them and we did some 5Ks together. We did a relay race together. So I would say he, he's up there for sure. That's really special. Mm -hmm. that you found that too together a little bit later in life. You know, a lot of dads and their daughters bond when they're little, but you had something that you, you really took up later, like in your twenties. Right. So maybe not that much later, but (laughs) still, I think, I think that's really special. He must really enjoy running with you. eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, he has a big family now, so he doesn't run as much, but I know that when we were doing it, he very much liked, enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's next for you? Are you, um, are you doing the Deadwood Mickelson again this year or what's up coming up for you for any adventures or or races for the year? Yeah. So I do the Deadwood every year, unless I have something like, I think one year I had a bachelorette party to go to, but I try and do it every single year. So I'm planning to do it this year. And I'm also doing a Spartan race in May. So kind of doing some training for that. We had signed up for one that was 13, it was a half marathon, a Spartan race, so obstacles and then 13.1 miles. But then my group, a couple of them have like knee pain. So we actually changed that to a 10K, but it's still, you know, a pretty long distance. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. And then just getting back into running for that. So South Dakota is not that far from Winnipeg and and Manitoba, Canada, which is where actually a lot of our listeners um, reside. So what time of year, when is this race and exactly where is it in case any Canadian listeners want to come down south to South Dakota to check it out? Yes, you definitely should. So it's always in June and it's always that first Sunday in June. So I'll have to double check to see um, and maybe you guys can you know link that link but it. usually yeah, it's yep. the first Sunday in June and it's in Deadwood South Dakota okay awesome yeah we will definitely put link that in our show notes I believe if I'm not mistaken a former guest Brandy Adolph again I'll link to her episode because it was a great one one of our most listened to ones actually she mentioned that as one of her um bucket list races did she really oh she did yeah it was ringing a bell when I saw that on the on our notes here I was like oh I've heard of this one before (laughs) I highly recommend I tell everyone to do it especially if it's going to be your first one because I don't know if I would have fallen in love with half marathons had it not been for that specific location and that race Mm -hmm. so highly recommend Mm, amazing and we may just have to check it out since we're so close, Kim. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> you are should. now. <laughs> I am. You used to be. I used to be. You've shared so much. And uh, I want to thank you really, truly for your vulnerability and for your authenticity and sharing your story so openly with us. And so before we get to our kind of end of the podcast questions, is there anything else maybe we didn't? ask that you wanted to share with our listeners? Like if you were thinking about that listener of your podcast, like when you 
you know, press record for a solo episode? Like, who are you talking to and what message do you want to share? Okay, one thing that has stuck in my mind that I didn't say during this, uh, like kind of like another red flag for someone. When I, I remember when I was, you know, running a lot, not the best relationship with running. I also had lost my period for like, it was like close to a year. And for me, I was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. I didn't know that it was an unhealthy thing. I just was glad I wasn't having it. But also that's important. You know, we have to have that. So um, it's important that being able to have um, awareness with it and getting real with yourself and asking yourself, well, is this the healthy way? Or how can I make this be a positive thing and more, how can I do this in a healthier way and reaching out to someone who's been there or just asking for, you know, advice or maybe it's someone who you don't even know, like maybe someone's listening and you can relate to what I'm saying. You can always reach out to me. Sometimes it's not as easy talking to a friend or a family member. I didn't want to talk about that with my mom or any, like I push them away. So sometimes someone that you don't even know can be super helpful. Okay, so you are open to people reaching out if yes. ever find them. Because you're right, like, you know, talking to family or talking to a therapist even is scary for a lot of people. But if it's someone that's just you feel like is, you know, like you and has been through what what you're going through. So that's that's super helpful. Again, we'll put we'll ask all your info at the end here where people can find you. But um, awesome. are you ready for these end of the podcast questions? Ready. Okay. So our first question is always my favorite. What is your, at least right now, favorite running mantra? So I always say find the joy in your journey with everything that I do, even with running, because sometimes there's, you know, you feel like your legs are tired, but it's all, it's joyful. Like I just try and find the joy in it, even though it's maybe challenging in the moment. Do you have a favorite place to run? Anywhere that's going to be in nature and there's going to be a good scenery or like water. It'd be perfect if it was in mountains, trees, and a waterfall. Ah, yes. <laughs> You're my kind of girl. <laughs> uh, I have totally um, used up all of my credits for posting waterfall pictures lately on my Instagram. I'm in love with them right now. I love and, them. And they usually exist where there's mountains or some kind of elevation. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. amazing, amazing type of nature to run in. Okay. So next question is what is your bucket list place to run a race? Maybe that you haven't done before. Hawaii or somewhere that's in a different country. <laughs> yes. Going, tra combining traveling and running is like, you cannot go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite running book or movie? I watched Prefontaine uh, at a cross country um, get together one time and I, I loved it ever since. Mm -hmm. Again, can't go wrong with Pre. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final question. The end of a, an awesome experience in Deadwood. What do you do for a post run indulgence? Chocolate milk, cheeseburger and fries. Ah, I like it. That's just the, what I crave. The at the salt, it's all there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've got everybody's number ones. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay, so, you know, this was fantastic. Amazing conversation. If people are loving what they've heard, where do we point them to? Where can they find more about Sophia? 
Definitely Instagram. My handle there is at Sophia underscore Dawn for one. And you can message me. Feel free to just shoot me a message and just say, hey, I listened to the, this podcast. And if you, anyone is just wanting to talk or they need advice or literally anything, you can always shoot me a message there. And how about your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast, Flow with the Grow, you can find it on any podcast platform. And I share a lot of health and fitness, nutrition, also a lot of mindset, um, mental health, and then just overall growth, self-development, personal development, you know, like we talked about sharing the highs, but also the lows. So it's just a whole lot of all of that. Excellent. Oh, I knew this would be a super not just fun, but powerful conversation with you today. And I really think it was both. So thank you so much for joining us, sharing your story and looking forward to listening to more of your podcast and good luck with the rest of your summer running. Thank you so much. I had a blast today and I appreciate you guys having me on and letting me share this story of mine that I've never shared before. So thank you so much. 